Welcome to Monticello Podcasts, where we look at various aspects of Monticello, Thomas Jefferson, and the work of the Thomas Jefferson Foundation, which has owned and operated Monticello since 1923. I'm Chad Woolerton, Monticello's webmaster. If you're like many of Monticello's visitors, you've probably been curious about its upper floors, especially the space known today as the Dome Room. Jefferson called it the Sky Room and detailed much of its design and decoration in drawings and in letters. Though it ended up not being used much in Jefferson's time, serving briefly as an apartment for Jefferson's grandson and later just for storage, it is today the best restored room on the upper floors. Last October, I spoke with Bob Self, Monticello's architectural conservator, about the latest stage of work on this beautiful but little-seen room. Well, we're, we're painting the floor of the dome room green. And this is something that we've uh, actually done in the past in a little bit different way. Back in uh, 1996, uh, we knew the floor was painted green originally, and we wanted to show that green color, but uh, the way we chose to do it then was to paint a floor cloth and install that rather than paint the actual floor. And recently we decided that we would, would go ahead and paint the floor just to really show it the way it was in Jefferson's time because a uh, painted floor uh, where you're actually seeing the individual floorboards is really an entirely different appearance than a floor cloth. So uh, why is this necessary? What's, uh, what's the kind of point of being accurate in the colors? Well, of course, we want to show all of the spaces here at Monticello uh, as they were in Jefferson's time. So uh, many, many rooms here are, are painted, and paint research has been done um, extensively throughout the house to determine what the original colors were. Now, the way paint research is done is you take a small sample of paint that has all of the various layers in that sample as well as uh, a portion of the substrate which might be either wood or plaster and you cast it in a acrylic casting medium which then hardens and you grind it uh, flat and then look at the cross section that you get under the microscope and when you do that you can get a lot of different information out of a very very tiny sample you can tell whether or not it's an oil paint or a water-based paint whether or not it has such things as proteins or carbohydrates in them, such as what a milk paint might have, and information that tells you uh, what sort of pigments were used to color the paint. So that is really an essential part of the whole process, is the analytical uh, portion of it. And that's not something that uh, we do ourselves. We have a specialist that we hire to do that sort of work for us. Other than finding the paint samples on the floor, would you have any other kind of evidence uh, of how the room was painted? Well, yes. There's actually some very, very good uh, documentary evidence uh, indicating that Jefferson intended to paint the floor green. Um, the first reference we have for this green color is in 1805, and he writes to his master builder, James Dinsmore, uh, talking about this time painting the entrance hall floor, and he says that he's gotten a sample of this, what he calls, true grass green from Gilbert Stewart, the celebrated painter who actually provides him a sample of this color. And then in 1807, he writes to the painter Richard Berry saying that the most important work you have to do here is to finish the floor of the hall, that's the entrance hall, and to paint the floor of the dome room exactly in the same way which suggests that he's intending to paint it the same color as well, although that his phrasing uh, can be interpreted in different ways because he doesn't say with exactly the same color. He says it exactly in the same way, although we, we assume that this must mean the same color, I suppose, because there's really not too many different ways to apply paint. 
Right. You put it on with a brush. Right. <laughs> and not using the sponge back there. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but it is, um, it is interesting that the two paints do not appear to be the same exact color. The, uh, according to the analysis we've had done, the entrance hall floor paint apparently was a more yellowy sort of olive color than the bluish green that we're using here in the dome room. So there, there is some very definite uh, evidence that uh, these two paints were not exactly the same, that perhaps they were different batches and that even though they contain the same pigments, they proportionally may have been a little bit different, resulting in slightly different colors. Well, how would Jefferson have mixed the paints? How, how would his workers mix the paints? Well, paints were made from scratch. Of course, back then you didn't go to the hardware store and buy a gallon of paint. You mixed it from the raw ingredients. Mm -hmm. So you'd have pigments such as, uh, well, in the case of this green color, you've got Prussian blue, mm -hmm. yellow ochre, lamp black, a little bit of lamp black, and uh, calcium carbonate and white lead. And mixing these combination of different pigments in oil, you would grind them in oil, make a paste out of them, and then add more oil to get the consistency you wanted in the paint. And it was just a very sort of basic process that was familiar probably to just about anybody that was involved with building houses. So supposedly uh, a, a good painter would have that kind of an as we say now, his skill set to be able to take a recommendation by uh, someone like Jefferson or a house owner and reproduce that paint as best they could. Um, I would imagine there would be a lot of variability that way. Well, of course, a painter was a painter, so a painter would know how to get the color that he was looking for, I'm sure. And you'd have to have a pretty good feel for what proportions of the various pigments would be used to arrive at a specific color. How many colors are, are in the dome room? Well, there's actually a total of four colors. If you count the unpainted plaster ceiling, uh, there's an off-white trim, and there's a yellow wall color and the green floor. So one of the one of the striking features of the dome room is the is the yellow paint on the walls on the lower part of the walls. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Well, that's a distemper paint, and distemper paints are water-based paints that are glue-bound rather than oil-bound. They're very, very different paints than oil-based oil paints. Distemper paints were used extensively on plastered wall surfaces in the early 19th century and 18th century as well. And the reason for that is they are not affected by the alkalinity of the plaster, as are oil paints. Uh, you may be familiar with uh, the process of soap making, where you take an alkaline material, lye, and combine it with uh, tallow or lard, a fatty substance, or oil can be used as well. And a chemical reaction called saponification occurs that turns the combination of these two materials into a totally different material, soap. And the same thing would basically occur if you were to apply oil paint to a freshly plastered surface. The alkalinity of the plaster would combine with the oil in the paint and saponification would happen and you would have basically soap formed from the paint. So what would that be like if that happened? Just curious. Well, it would be a rather sticky, slimy sort of uh, feel to it. Would it damage the walls? Um, I'm not sure it would really damage the walls. It would be something you'd probably have to remove. It would never harden up fully the way you would expect a paint to do. Yeah. Another problem with the oil paints, too, is they would seal the surface too thoroughly. Plaster, when it's curing out, has to breathe. It has to, the moisture has to escape from the plaster as, as it cures. So the oil paint would also prevent that from happening. It would be very detrimental to the, detrimental to the plaster itself.
the um, another interesting element that's along the lines with uh, with painting uh, are the the doors, the graining of the doors. Um, they're quite beautiful, but they're they're kind of a, an illusion. That's right. Doors are made of pine, and they're painted to simulate mahogany, with a white wood inlay and uh, burl surrounds on the panels. Richard Berry was the man who was responsible for the graining here at Monticello. Jefferson referred to him as a capital hand, and there are a few examples of his original graining to look at here at Monticello, and it really is quite uh, quite impressive, his work. It's, it's very, very sophisticated. It uh, is, is really an excellent representation of wood, and he was probably as good at, at doing that as anybody in the period. What we've done on many of the doors here is to replicate that graining uh, on all of the layers of paint that were applied over top of the original graining, and that's what you see in the dome room is a replica uh, of the graining that was on them originally. Uh, what other kinds of work have you done in the dome room besides uh, painting the walls and painting the floors? Well, one of the most interesting projects that I was associated with was installing the blown glass skylight or oculus that is right up at the very apex of the dome at the top of the ceiling. It's a piece of blown glass a little over four feet in diameter that was produced in Austria. It was a long, long process finding anybody who was even capable of, of making a piece of glass like this for us. We know that Jefferson wanted very much to have a, a single plate of glass for the, the oculus of the dome and we know that on two separate occasions glass was shipped from the Boston Crown Glass Company. The first shipment, all the glass was broken in transit. The second shipment arrives and he notes payment for it, but about a year, year and a half later, he's designing a, uh, a different sash for that opening with a smaller circular pane in the middle much like the sashes that are on the rest of the windows in the space. So it appears that he may have had this, this blown glass oculus or, or piece of glass in place for a short period of time, but that it didn't uh, last very long for him. But our feeling was that he did get it up in place, at least temporarily, so we're showing a piece of glass there rather than a wooden sash. The, um, the the glass that was originally installed. Do we know much about it? I mean, how was it shaped similar to what we have now, or we, would it have to have been? We don't know. Um, it a appears that it was a piece that had a pontal or uh, portion in the middle of it. That's the result of of the hand blowing process. Although he does specify at one point that he wants a piece of plate glass for that uh, purpose. And plate glass is a bit different than blown glass. It's, it's ground perfectly flat. And it was a process that he probably would have been familiar with in France, but is not something that was done in this country very much at all, if any, at that point in time. Would it have been as strong, depending on? Plate glass probably would have been stronger than this blown glass. Okay. Yes. Okay. And, and there's a possibility that if he had been able to get plate glass, it, it may have survived a little bit longer than this piece of blown glass that he got. Okay. But he does specify that he wants it as thick as possible, he says. He's not looking for ordinary window strength glass. He clearly wants something as, as strong and as thick as possible. He knows it's going to be exposed to the elements. Yep. One of the other things that's always interested me about the, the room are the other windows. Um, they're quite striking, very large circular windows um, that uh, span around the room, uh, except for a couple that actually uh, butt the house. Um, they have an interesting feature. 
Can you kind of go into that? Well, the problem with those two windows is they back up against the roof on the outside. And what happens is the roof actually intersects with these two windows. And Jefferson solves this as much as possible by raising these two windows all the way up to the bottom of the cornice. And if you look at these windows in comparison with the other four windows in the space, you see that they're noticeably higher in terms of their uh, placement on the wall. But it's still not enough. So he then specifies that mirror glass might perhaps be uh, the solution to at least not seeing the intersection of the roof there. We don't know specifically whether or not he did that. He does talk about doing it. So that is the uh, the basis for our use of mirror glass in the lower portions of these two windows. Okay, cool. One of the things that's hard to convey by just putting pictures on the website or describing the room is the acoustics of the room, which uh, which have a pretty mean echo. And I thought while we were up here, we might just kind of demonstrate by talking on the outside of the room and holding the mic into it to see what happens. So if you try to talk, you can hear that the echo comes right back at you. And then things keep bouncing as you start to answer someone, uh, their voice is still bouncing around, which makes it sometimes hard to hear. But oddly enough, you know, we've noticed an effect up here. If you have two people in the space standing right in the middle of the room, uh, the same distance from the exact center uh, where the skylight or oculus is located in the middle, all of a sudden you get this crystal clarity uh, because of the, uh, the dynamics of, of, the, uh, of the sound. And it's a very, very unusual sort of effect. But if you're not standing in the exact right location, then it's the exact opposite and things are very booming and difficult to understand. Want to try that? Can we try that? Yeah, we'll try oh, that. Hold on. Well, Bob and I were only able to get it to work very briefly for the microphone. But I'm happy to report that the Dome Room is now included in our new evening signature tours. These special after-hours tours, first introduced last fall, feature an expanded look at Monticello. They're scheduled to be offered again on Friday evenings beginning in late April 2006. Check back with our website, monticello.org, in a few weeks for more information. Or send us an email at webmaster at monticello.org with signature tours in the subject line, and we'll reply when the final schedule has been announced. Thanks for listening. <laughs>